Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord, I'm so grateful for your word, and I'm thankful that your kingdom is now available here in our midst. Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts to behold you? And as the preacher this morning, I ask you to help me that I would be clear and faithful to your word. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're in white this morning um, because this is the Feast of the Transfiguration. It's also the last Sunday of Epiphany, and we start into Ash Wednesday this, this coming week on Wednesday. And my text today, though, is not the Transfiguration text. I'm going to focus on Matthew chapter 4 and that gospel passage and the parable of the sower. Um, but they're related, I promise you. And I, I think it'd be helpful for you to actually see in a Bible... Mark chapter 4, because the whole thing holds together, and we just read part of it. So it's on page 839, if you want to follow along in a pew Bible. Or, frankly, you might be so familiar with this uh, section that, um, that you can just listen and, and get it. But let me begin um, by saying the butler did it. The butler did it. You know, that's a cliche of murder mysteries where something is hidden in plain sight and for a long time the, uh, the murderer gets away with it because of presuppositions. It works well because it plays on the biases and the misconceptions of most people. And it's, it's been a, a theme that's been done over and over and over again in books and movies and whatever. I was just reading some different examples of it and one was The Mask of Zorro. Um, in that story, two noblemen have a conflict, and 20 years passes, and one wants to go and get revenge on another, and so what he does is he, he hires a younger man to pretend to be the nobleman, and he dresses up as his lowly assistant. And right before they're to go and do this deception, he's afraid that he'll be figured out. And then the guy that's acting as the nobleman says, no way, your opponent is so proud It's beneath him to even look a servant in the eye. He won't even look at your face. And that's how the deception worked. It's because it was unexpected that a nobleman would condescend to put on the dress of a commoner. Or another example more recently is um, the BBC's Sherlock series with um, Benedict Cumberbatch, where they redid the stories of Sherlock in a very modern way. And in the very first episode, spoiler alert, by the way, the cabbie did it. It's a serial murderer, and Sherlock actually catches him real early. He chases him on foot as as the, the murderer is riding in a cab in London, and when he finally catches up and opens the door, there's no one in the back of the cab. And he thinks he must have slipped out, but it was the cab driver, which is so common all over London, even the great Sherlock just kinda lumped the driver in with the vehicle and didn't think that that could be the murderer. And so in that case, it's something common unexpected or common. These kind of things cause us to find things that are, or to miss things that are hidden in plain sight. Most of us, church people, most of us have a discipleship problem, the unexpected and the common. Mark 4, we think, is for the original crowds. Jesus told that parable of the sower for those people that were crowding around him, and it was for them at that time, and now that we are on this side of the cross and resurrection, it really doesn't, it's not so much for us. It was for the crowds back then. That's unexpected. Or it's common. Common in the sense that I've been in church a long time. I've read the Bible multiple times. I've been in Bible studies. I guess this is as good as it gets. Until I go to be with Jesus in heaven, this is as much as I can expect from him of his kingdom. There can't possibly be more for me than this. 
This is the common experience. Either the unexpected or the common cause the kingdom of God for us to remain hidden in plain sight. Let me ask you a question. Is the spirit of God here? The correct answer is yes. Do you feel the spirit of God? You may not. Does that change the fact that he's here? No, your feelings don't determine what is true. But what I'm praying for God to do for each one of us is bring us into his presence with more expectation because I believe he has more for each one of us than what we've experienced up to this point in our lives. So this morning, can you hear again with new ears the parable of the sower? Because how you hear determines what you hear. How you hear determines what you hear. And let me make that point from here. In verse 9, which we didn't read, it's right before where Jack started, he finishes telling the crowd the parable, the four different types of soil, and then he says, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says to the crowd, this is about how you hear. So if you're hearing, if you have ears to hear, then hear what I have to say. And then in verse 10, and this is almost like we, we can miss little phrases like this, but note, in verse 10 it says, and when he, Jesus, was alone, those around him with the 12. Well, wait a minute. Who are those around him with the 12? I thought the 12 were his disciples, and it was Jesus explaining to the 12 the parable. Who are those around him? They're the ones who heard, had ears to hear, and they pressed in further, and then more was given. So how you hear determines what you hear. They heard well the first part, and so they pressed in further, and they got more. That is no different for us today. How you hear this will determine what you hear in this and what the Lord will reveal to you. Now, what he says to them in verse 11 is he says, um, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. You know, Jesus had to walk a very fine line between martyrdom and ministry. He had three years or so of public ministry, but it was very risky because the more signs and wonders he did, the more people he healed, the more demons he cast out, the more authority he revealed in his preaching, the larger the crowds became, and he was getting famous fast. So he adopted this method of teaching where to the crowds, he would use parables. In fact, we learn from Mark in here that he, he only taught the crowds in parables. And what he was able to do by that is he was able to sort through the hearts of the people and find out who has a hard heart and who is open to the kingdom. Who is just here for the freak show of demons being cast out and people being healed and all the, all the energy is entertaining? And who is here because this could be the son of God. This could be the one I've always longed for my entire life. I want him, not just what he can do for me. By telling the parables, Jesus created that kind of a situation. It was, he was able to slice through the crowd and find out where people's hearts were. And then those that responded in faith, he was able to give more. So how are you hearing this morning? Did you come for just another church service? Did you come to church because it's Sunday and that's what you're supposed to do? I'm doing my duty. Did you come to hear, what's Mike going to preach on this, this day? Or did you come saying, I need a fresh word from Jesus what does he have for me? I'm going to go to church because maybe God will say something to me that I need to hear this morning. How are you hearing? 
Now, in Mark chapter 4, I think there are two prongs to this, and I'm, I'm always trying to be careful not to preach two sermons. Heather told me I had three yesterday when I ran my material pastor. She said, you got to boil that down. you got three sermons in there. I want one sermon, but there are two prongs to it. Unless you miss this, my main point is how you hear determines what you hear, because I think that's the point of Mark chapter 4. That's not my idea. I think that's Mark 4's idea. But what you have to understand here is Mark is doing a classic Mark thing, and he's creating a, a sandwich, the Markin sandwich, or technically called an inclusio, where he is doing something on both ends, and then in the middle, something else, and they inform each other. So this is why I said you kind of have to look at a whole, the whole chapter. In Mark chapter 4, verse 2, it says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. So them being the crowds. So many people had come around Jesus that he actually was being pushed towards the edge of the sea, and he got into a boat, pushed out 10 feet, put the anchor down, and then began to teach them, and the crowds were on the beach. And it says, and he was, te- he was teaching them many things in parables. Not just this parable, but that was what his approach to teaching was. And then if you jump all the way down to verse 33, it says, With many such parables, he spoke to them the word of God as they were able to hear it. Remember how you hear matters here? This this is important. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And don't think the 12, think the group that were around him with the 12 that were responding in faith and were becoming his disciples. He explained things to them. How you hear determines what you hear, and they were given more. What they did with the little they had, then they were given a little more, and a little more, and a little more, and started to understand more about the kingdom. So, right in the middle of this Mark and Sandwich, Jesus quotes Isaiah 9 and says, say to this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Your heart is hard. Now, this is a confusing thing, but in ancient Israel, their heart had grown so hard that they couldn't even hear the warnings of judgment. And Isaiah says, how long? Lord, how long am I going to preach to a people that can't hear what I have to say? And he says, until their cities lie in ruin. Because finally, what was going to break their hard hearts open was was the Assyrian invasion. The foreigners were going to come in, and under judgment from God, they, they were going to be judged for their hardness of heart. Then they'll start to hear, but not until that point. This is not something that God was decreeing like he wanted to stop people from hearing. He wants us to hear, but we have a heart problem. And that's what we're getting into this morning. The crowds were coming to Jesus because they wanted something from him. And the secret of the kingdom is that he himself is what they and we need. He himself. It's not just what can Jesus do for me. It's I need him above everything else. I want to know him more. I want more of him in my life. I want to understand the kingdom in a fuller way. Lord, what are you doing right now in our midst, in our church, in our community, in our world? I want to understand. Lord, bring me into that inner circle where you talk about the secrets of the kingdom. I don't want to be stuck out with the crowds just getting vague information. I want to press in further. Not so that I get something from you, but I want you. That's the heart of this. And so, This here is the parable of parables. In verse 13, he says to his disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The reason Mark throws this parable in like this in chapter four, right at the beginning of his gospel, 
is because this is the key to interpreting all of them. If you can't figure out why he teaches in parables and how they work, you're not going to understand the rest of them either. Pay attention to this. This is the key. And the point is the kingdom of God is hidden in plain sight. It is like the butler who did it. It's right there in front of you. You've got to have the right heart to receive it. So that's big picture of parables. And now the second prong is more the specific parable. Why do you think Jesus chose seeds and soil as the analogy or the metaphor for his word? I mean, in the Bible, we've got the word is called the sword in one place. It's called a hammer in one of the prophets. He could have chosen a number of things, he could, a rock. He could, there are a number of things he could have chosen as, for, uh, as a metaphor for his word here, and he chooses seed and soil. Why do you think that is? I want to suggest to you a couple of reasons. One is the apparent weakness of a seed. If I had a seed and I threw it really hard at Chuck, it might not even be able to make it to him. It's so light of substance. And if it did and hit him, he would just dust it off. And I'm thinking of the song, America the Beautiful, Amber Waves of Grain. One good seed put into good soil will bear more seed, and you can literally seed an entire state with grain. The right seed in the right conditions, and it will keep going. There is, there is an apparent weakness, but there is actually a great strength to it. Now, Paul the Apostle says that the Jews were seeking signs and the Greeks were seeking wisdom, and he says, God chose what is weak to shame the strong. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 27. The cross is what Paul, Paul was talking about. The cross is foolishness to the world. They think that a Savior who dies is weak, and they don't think that he's worthy of following. It's apparent weakness, though, because on the cross, he conquered sin and death and Satan and defeated all the things that are our worst enemies and brought life. And he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. In other words, in order for the life to come out of this apparently weak thing, it's going to require a kind of death, one that our Lord was willing to go through for us. He was willing to die so that we might have life. And he invites us to come and take up our cross and put to death whatever is earthly and worldly and fleshy in us so that we can experience the kingdom. But what's interesting about a seed is the life itself is inherent in the seed. You can take a seed and put it on a dry shelf for years in your house, but the minute you put it into the ground and put some water on it and the soil is there and the sun, it will grow because it has life in it. In fact, a little bit later in this chapter, in verse 25, 26, he says, the kingdom of God is like a man that scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps, he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the grain in the head. So the point is, the seed has life within itself. The word of God is living and active. It has life in itself because it is God's word. The question is about the soil. So how you hear determines what you hear. It's the circumstances of the soil that bring forth the power and the life that is inherent in this seed, which is apparently weak, but is actually quite strong. You can literally cover the earth with one seed in the right soil. So this parable, um, the so-called parable of the sower, is a terrible misnomer, because it's not at all about the sower. It should be called the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed in the soils, but it's been long called in English the parable of the sower, so um, that's what's written in the heading here in the ESV. But it's really about the soil, 
And it's really about the depth of the soil. So the first one is the seed that lands on the path, on the edge of the field, where the, you know, the ox walks and where the farmer walks. It's patted down hard, so the, so the seed can't even get into the soil. And he's talking about those that hear, and it doesn't even go in. And these are people that hear about church. They hear about the gospel. They hear about Jesus. They know all the words, the Bible, the, the stuff. And they just simply don't even let it go in. They think that's in the category of religion stuff, and I'm going to leave it over there. You know, I, was, I missed church here last week because I was in Dallas for the AMIA winter conference thing, and I was, I was sharing with them, but I stayed on for Sunday morning because I wanted to see how All Saints Dallas worships. And it was a great experience. And they had a, actually had a testimony, and a man got up. He's a businessman, very successful. was probably in his mid to late 60s, and told a testimony of being at a restaurant and running into an angel. And he said a man that, he, that was in the restaurant, or supposedly, came over to him, and, and I'm going to fast forward the story, because if I tell you the whole thing, it's all you'll remember from this sermon. <laughs> and that's not the point I want to make. But he said, you're going to have a heart attack and die. You need to go to your cardiologist immediately. Fast forward the testimony. Bishop Philip was there and said to this man, so a man you didn't know and didn't see in a restaurant came and told you information you couldn't, he couldn't have known about your heart that saved your life your life. Yeah. And, and he believes it was an angel. Now, I tell you that part because the seed that lands on the path is like this. You can say, of course somebody could guess that. He had been golfing that morning, his face was a little red, and he's a, he's a, a wealthy businessman in his mid-60s. Do you think there's a chance he has a heart issue? Yeah. Very high chance. And the person who is this first type of soil just simply goes, ugh, that's all in that superstitious religious category, and immediately dismisses the possibility and probability that God has angels. The scriptures talk about it, and they do stuff. That's the first kind of soil, is it just dismisses all of the religion. And, and frankly, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. They can't even see it. It's, it's, and Jesus says, Satan comes and takes the seed away before it even goes into the soil when he interprets it. Now, if you heard what I just said and you think that could be you, that's a gift from God that you just heard what I said. Pray right now and ask him to come into your life. No joke on that. Don't be that soil. Now, the second one is a soil that has rocks right underneath the top soil. And it's a problem of shallow roots. They go down a little bit, and then the minute that there's a, a drought or heavy sun, they wilt, wilt and die. And, and this, is, this is the person who receives the word with joy. This is great news. You mean my sins can be forgiven? God loves me? That when I die, I get to be with him in heaven as I imagine heaven? This is awesome. I'm all in. And then it gets hard. And then somebody rejects you because you're now in that religious group. Or Jesus actually reveals something he wants to work on in your character, and you don't like it. Let me ask you this question. Do you come to worship on Sunday to give God something? Or do you come because you want to be entertained or challenged or you want to, it's fun or you want the social component of it or you're in it for the coffee under the tent? I mean, really, check your motives on stuff because church is not just about entertainment and ease. Being a disciple is hard. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be good. And if the root doesn't, the seed doesn't go down deep enough, when it gets hard, not if it's hard, you won't sustain. You'll just wilt and you'll, and you'll fall away. It happens all the time. 
And then the third one, which probably is most dangerous for those of us in the affluent West, where we have so much that we can pursue, is the crowded soil. It's deep, but so are the weeds. They're deep too. And the nutrients are being stolen. There's a competition going on. I've told you before, you probably don't remember it unless you're a gardener, but in the back corner of my yard, there's, there's the retention pond. I planted a cassia bush, and it grew about 10 feet big. And in the fall, it puts out these awesome yellow buttercup flowers. And it was so big last year. Yellow was everywhere. I was loving it. And then the season ended, and of course, the, the, the yellow falls off, and it's just a green bush. And I was like, oh, I missed the yellow. I know what I'll do. I'll go down to Pat's and buy some lantana with yellow flowers, and it's a spreader, and plant it underneath there. And all that whole summer, yellow was exploding under what was choking out my cassia. And it looks awful now because the lantana ate all of the nutrients, took all the water, and it's killing the, the bigger plant. That's what's going on here with this other type of soil, is that there's a competition. The commitment to discipleship, the commitment to the kingdom is just one option of many. It's not the, t- the highest priority. I know a man uh, when we were in Chicago at our church who he, he got an awesome job offer in Texas, doubled his pay. There were great schools down there. The housing market was better than Evanston, Illinois, where he was. So he took it, moved his family all the way to Texas, and then over the next 18 months, their faith started to shrivel because they didn't even consider church fellowship when they moved to Texas. And they had a great church in Illinois, and they got to Texas, and then he realized their faith was withering. And so he quit that job and moved back and found another one to move back for the church. Does discipleship inform your decisions? Is it your primary concern? And career, and kids in sports, and recreation, and all these other things fall underneath. And have you made a decision recently where you said no to some other thing because it was going to hinder your ability to be part of God's kingdom? That's a really helpful question. Have you ever made a decision for your career based on how it would affect your faith? Now, I'm, all, I'm at 20, I'm my shot clock, I'm over my shot clock, I'm at 21 minutes. So the good soil produces fruit. It doesn't tell us what the fruit is in here. It just says fruit. And it says 30, 60, or 100. I don't think it matters. I think he's actually balancing the six seeds, the three that don't bear and three that do. In Luke, it's 100, just 100. The point is, incredible fruitfulness. Now, you'd have to jump into Galatians 5 about character for the fruit, the, the manifested fruit of the Holy Spirit, the, the love, joy, peace, patience, those things. You might have to jump into John 15 where Jesus says it's the Father's will that you'd bear much fruit, and there it seems to be about growing in love and knowledge of God, not evangelism, knowledge and love of God increasing. And in in chapter 4 here, verse 24, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You know, I'm shocked that God keeps teaching me new things about him. I've been in this business a long time, And there is so much more for me to experience. And I think the same is true of you. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's a perfect time to enter into six weeks of doubling down our commitment to the Lord, inviting him to search us, taking on some extra spiritual practices that will help us hear. What I want to say to you is how you hear determines what you hear. And the kingdom of God is at hand. God has more for you. Will you press into it or will you remain out like the crowds? 
Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to understand your kingdom. I know you have more for us. I thank you for your great abundance. I thank you for the life that is in your word. Lord, make us people of this book. Help us ask good questions and dig in to get answers. Lord, surround us with other faithful people that can encourage us when it gets tough. And I pray that we would desire you above all. Thank you for being so patient with us. Our hearts are fickle. Have mercy. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.